0: Hi, my name's David Trent. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, I'm a comedian. Um, You may know me from um, from the comedy blogging interview with Sarah Shoreman that you listen to approximately like 30 seconds after you hear me saying this. Or you may also have been taught by me at um, a variety of schools across the nation congratulations if you have you probably turned out to be pretty successful people Um, or maybe you you came to see me in Edinburgh and then you went on to the Chortle website and you typed this guy is the least funny person I ever saw in my life I laughed more when I saw the inside of my own brother's ballsack so yeah, if there are any of those people, welcome, welcome to my life.
1: So David, how did you get into comedy?
0: <laughs> this microphone's really close to my mouth, listeners at home, so that's why I laughed then. There was nothing funny about the question. The question was quite straightforward, right? So um, I did the Amuse Moose comedy course, and basically... I. I I decided that I'd like to have a go at um doing comedy. So I went on the Amuse Moose comedy course run by Logan Murray and did it in um, Edinburgh. And it was like a 6-day intensive course. And ba- I went in really like quite a boring guy, just like an everyday normal guy. And then the minute I came out I was nominated for the um for best newcomer. At, it was this it was last last year just before I I, wrote, I I did the, the comedy course like just before the Edinburgh run. And then while I was on the comedy course, I wrote um, the show Spontaneous Comedian in five days. And then on, on I think it was <laughs> June the 30th, I, I did Spontaneous Comedian and that was it. It was brilliant. So it took me about six days to um, develop it. Um, so thanks, thanks Amuse Moose. Thanks Hills and Logan for everything you did for me. It was great.
1: So what was your first gig like?
0: Well, as I say, it was the first performance of a Spontaneous Comedian. Shall we do this properly? Do you want me to do it properly? Yeah, we could do both. It was a six-day intensive course. Did it in 2006, right? And um, it was pretty shit. The first gig was really—you uh, do it in Zoo. Uh, we did it in Zoo Southside, and, and it was like it felt like a. a oh, it's horrible to say, but it felt like, like a school. You know the school concert, the end of year concert, yeah. And um, I did my three and a half minutes of material that I'd managed to come up with over the week, and it was like jokes about, "Did you? Can you? If you look at my appearance, I look a little bit like I could be a paedophile, don't I?" And um, that was, and oh, it was really terrible. And um, it also involved doing a bit about an STD exam. But I had a banana and a lollipop stick, and I, 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 you know, I demonstrated it, and people were going, "Why would, why would he want to do that?" And I don't, I just needed something to talk about. It was, yeah, it was. I'm, uh, I feel quite embarrassed just telling you about it. So it was hor- horrible. It was horrible.
1: So you didn't use any technology?
0: No, I didn't. Uh, well, lolly sticks. I mean, they technological aren't they so I used that and bananas a special type of technology as well but it's just not not man-made technology Um, no no I didn't but we were asked to um we were asked to write a thing about um we had to write like our biography before the course and we had to write it in an elevated style and my first thought was do it by having loads of photographs of myself of, of things and slip porn into it and go like oh who put that there and that's that was you know quite prescient because that was basically last year's show jokes and then porn coming up and then pretending that I hadn't noticed it had got there yeah so that's that's the genesis uh, uh, <laughs> six years ago I thought about <laughs> that porn was funny and I still do
1: so after doing Logan's course how how often did you start gigging after that?
0: I would I would gig as often as I possibly could. Maybe once or twice a month sometimes. Um, Cause I'm, I'm, I mean, I know that to look at me, you'd probably think 25, 26, but I'm 41. I've got two children, I've got a job. I haven't got time to, to go down to London to do five minute spots at the Laughing Lion and King's Cross. So it had to be quite, it wasn't very often, but also, and, and I'm pretty much sure that they didn't book me that often because of that reason. Because because I couldn't I didn't have much time and not because I was absolute dog shit at comedy. But it could be. could be the latter. I don't know. It wasn't very often. People go on about how you have to do it all the time, right? I mean, I know I listened to a, another comedian talking on there. I think his name's... I can't remember what his name was. Nish... Nish someone, or a, I can't remember, he hasn't made much of an impact into my consciousness, but he, he, this guy was saying that you just have to use it all the time and like it's like a muscle and that it gets stronger. And that's something that, I, you know, it's a very original thought that he came up with, but it is something that I've also have heard before, right? And I I kind of disagree with that one, right? I think there is a long game as well. And I think that a lot of people do get put off by, of, from doing comedy because of that idea of use it or lose it, use it or lose it and because i live in cambridge not in london and because there aren't that many gigs in cambridge and because i'm a junior school teacher i was a junior school teacher in cambridge there weren't that many opportunities for me to do what i wanted to do where i was because i didn't want to cause offence and then get in trouble at school so i would go and do gigs outside of london and it would be long gaps in between and it just takes longer and sure if you do it every night you will get relaxed and 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 feel more confident on stage, but it is possible to have like guys out there. It's possible you can have like two to three days, four days off of doing comedy. And when you next get back on stage, you won't have forgotten everything and be back to stage one. Sometimes you can have three or four weeks. Sometimes you can get gallstones and jaundice and have two and a half months off and still perform your um, Edinburgh Best Newcomer nominated show, Spontaneous Comedian at the Exeter Comedy Festival. No one will notice. No-one will go, oh, my God, look at those flabby muscles. They'll say, yep, yeah, that was a show, and it was okay. And you are better the more you do it, but it, I don't think you get any worse. Obviously, all the haters out there will be saying, that is why Trent is so shit, because he doesn't use it every single night of the week. And I do, but... You're doing different things every night, right? So you might have two nights where you're in a club doing your 20, then you might have a, a, a preview and then you might have a couple of new material nights um, or something that isn't as, as high impact. So it's not like you're just doing that same thing over and over again. You're doing different things all the time. So Nish, you're wrong, mate, and I'd like to publicly say that and challenge you to a duel. And we'll have a, we'll a throwdown of and see who has got the biggest muscles. Yeah. And I'm talking about my quads. And I don't even know what they are. But I am going to go quad to quad with you, Kumar. Take you down. Take you down to quad town in your dressing gown.
1: And your set involves a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Your, your set involves a lot of record cards and, um, and PowerPoint. So what made you want to start using Record cards and, and writing and felt tips and everything in, in your comedy? Well,
0: that is a great question, Sarah. Thank, thank you.
1: For, thank you very much. Thank <laughs> for asking
0: me. Well, basically, Nish Kumar said to me <laughs> that he didn't like record cards, and he didn't like handwriting, and he didn't like PowerPoint. So I put that into my show and I just will always use it from now on. Have you seen Nish's PowerPoint presentations? Awful. He just uses normal templates and sort of graphics, computer graphics. Right. I. I I use not a lot of PowerPoint. You say a lot of PowerPoint. I use one PowerPoint presentation per show. Yeah, I think that's important to because I'm like a genius of PowerPoint. Um, I'm really good at it, and I only need one. And why do I use it? In 2008, um, I went. I did a gig in Kidderminster. You ever been to Kidderminster? You're nodding your head. No, you never. And shaking your head no well it was a great open mic it was really great and I persuaded a couple of my friends to come with me I persuaded my friend the comedian James A. Caster, that he might like to come and do it I said it's a great open mic room really great and I persuaded I persuaded my other friend Josh Widdicombe that he would like to do it it's a really great open mic room so we drove in a car up to Kidderminster and um we got there and Only that for... You know, sometimes a comedy club can just turn shit overnight, yeah? Sorry, kidderminster, but that was the night you decided to turn shit. And it was... Oh, it was dreadful. So Josh went out and did some great work about um, Joe Strummer from The Clash because there was a poster of Joe Strummer from The Clash and they weren't having any of that. And then um, James did his bouncy castle stuff and that went very well for him. And then... I went on, started my normal set, then had a nervous breakdown on stage, ran off, was asking James what I should do next, he was whispering things in my ear to go and shout and I went back on and shouted them and um, oh, it was horrific and then we drove back and on the way there was a junction problem out by Oxford and we must have driven round the same thing about four times, it took us two hours just driving around and around, we kept missing the junction and but... By the time we finished that journey, that was enough to make me give up stand-up comedy forever. And I, and I quit everything. And I pulled out all of my diary and I said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm shit. I can't I can't handle this because of that horrible, horrible night in Kiddermintz. And we still remember that night in Kiddermintz. So I had two gigs left in my diary that I didn't want to give up on. One was Green Man Festival and one was Alistair Greaves' night. Alistair Greaves is a, a legend who lives in Leeds. And when I say a legend, I mean, he literally he's got a, a sword in his garden, which is in a stone. And every day he gets it out and he puts it back in and challenges the rest of the leads to get that sword out of the stone. But they can't do it because he can only he can do it because of his legendary powers. And what he what he did was he said, oh, I could have a gig. I don't know why I'm talking about, that, about him. He said, I get, what he did was he, he about six months before the gig, he, he Facebooked me and said, do I want a gig? And I said, yes, I want a gig. Oh, I'm boring, really boring myself with the answer. So anyway, I was getting ready for Green Man Festival and so I took my computer down with me. I couldn't be bothered to write a set list on the back of my hand. And what I was doing is I was writing the set list on the back of my hand. No, I, I had a photo of the back of my hand and I was writing on the photo of my hand and then making a joke about how I didn't want to write on the back of my hand and then held up the photo. And I was doing a lot of work on photos and so that day I just took my laptop in and I did it off the laptop, and I used PowerPoint to get me through it with pictures of the people I was talking about, and pictures of the things that I was talking about, and it went really well, and after I came out, people were like, "That what was that? That was really original, and I thought I was just, that I didn't think it was, I thought it was cheating, and it wasn't, and basically, the whole PowerPoint thing came from not wanting to write a set list on my hand, not writing it on the floor, but just literally having it go through and then I started realizing there were multimedia capabilities that could be employed uh, in order to make myself look much better than I am and uh, don't nod your head like in the affirmative at that say no david you really are good um and then and then I just yeah it just developed from there the now the other thing is that you ask about the record cards great question I don't like it to look like PowerPoint. I don't like PowerPoint when, when you're in a meeting and then somebody puts a PowerPoint on and just reads the PowerPoints to you. That makes me want to shoot myself in the dick. So what I do instead is I write it on a record card and use it as a set list. But I like to think that this year there's a slight evolution in the the record cards. I'm not really... I'm I'm actually learning because last year's show was was a bunch of bits from stand up whereas this year's show almost flows i wouldn't like i'd never like to write a show that is just like a like a really f- narrative flow but the the record cards don't serve the same purpose as they did last year they don't serve much more of a different purpose there's still there's still lots of them but they tend to be to convey information this year as opposed to just to say, this is this routine now, and now this is this routine. And also, they look nice, don't they look nice?
1: They look lovely. Yeah.
0: Thank you. That was a long answer. Long no, long you can't I've look at the done? question. Oh, at how long I've done, 13 minutes? Pretty good. <laughs> Just got to beat Nish. Nish did, only did 33 minutes. He only had 33 minutes with him for some reason. Nish Kumar's interview is very short. You can't keep, Not much to say. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, Nish, but, you know... Some of us got a lot to say about um, a lot of things in comedy, especially muscles. Using their muscles every night. We know which muscle you're using.
1: <laughs> and you're saying that you're also a junior school teacher uh, when you first started out doing yeah. comedy. So did you find that being a teacher and being in the classroom helped with performing stand-up?
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that children really like is when you put sort of semi-pornographic images up on the in the classroom they go oh this is brilliant sir can we have more of that um and they love it when you really swear at them as well that that goes down really well with nine ten and eleven year olds um and no it hasn't been it wasn't helpful it was difficult because my overall I'm quite patronising and quite a control freak, and you get used to like part of the thick job of a classroom teacher in junior school is to present that "don't fuck with me" thing. Um, you, you need that control. So, but you then you take that into a comedy club and you go in with that same sort of level of control, and people are like, "Why are you? Why are you being so horrible to us?" So you have to adjust that somehow, and you have to get the right balance between being. Funny for kids is not the same as funny for adults, and comedy for kids is not the same as comedy for adults, and kids are not the same as adults. I think you get the idea that I'm what, where I'm going. Yeah, this, the path I'm on is that there's a different, um, there's a differentiation, and that I think the main difference, if you're gonna, if, if I'm really gonna, <laughs> if I'm really gonna think it through and everything, the main difference probably between children and adults is age. Yeah, age and development. <laughs> so, because they're not the same, they're not the same, you can't age and experience. So, you wouldn't make a joke to a kid that you would make to an adult. I wouldn't. And making, also, it's funny in school where you, when you don't, when you break a routine. And it's not really that the same Thing in a comedy club because when you break the routine of a comedy club, people just think you're being unprofessional, or stupid, and that's where a lot of good anti-comedy comes from. But you've got to—I can't do that properly without people genuinely getting angry with me and thinking, "Oh, this isn't just isn't working. What's funny about this?" And it becomes a little bit in jokey right? So there's that, and also I don't—I do think that it's just—it didn't—it didn't help having a job and doing comedy because you have to go to work every day so no teaching hasn't helped me i'm sure it helped all the other teacher comedians I'm, have you interviewed Have pappies do they do pappies think that and did he say that it helped him but he's a secondary school teacher he
1: didn't, i didn't ask matthew that question
0: well thanks what so i matthew primarily you'd interview him on comedy and the techniques of comedy and like the intricacies of that
1: and i didn't know matthew was a teacher at the time that i interviewed him i interviewed him with pappies
0: okay well crosby if you're out there um next time we meet up just did teaching help you was secondary secondary i think it's a different thing and also his he's you know he likes to do puns and wordplay and things like that i like to push uh, situation to the point where it's almost gonna either break or it does break and then I think that's what's funny. So I will do that in the context of school but it's a very, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, were there ever teachers who were, pe- I was a pizza delivery driver as well. You're not to ask me if that helped me with my comedy.
1: So David, did you find that being a pizza delivery driver helped you in performing <laughs> stand-up and in general and performing comedy
0: yeah um thanks for that question it's a question i've been waiting for for a long long time yeah uh, a lot of my material um really had its genesis in (laughs) in delivering pizzas um and if any of you out there are into pizza delivery, you should definitely come and see my show. That's the problem though. I'm getting a lot of teachers coming to see my show as if it's going to be all about teaching. There's very little to do with teaching and the reason I left teaching is not because I don't like teaching, because I hate other teachers. You the, the majority of you are assholes. Stay away from my show, you child punishers. Seriously, they just they're just stupid bullies who go in every day and try and prescribe things to keep kids in their place and make sure that they don't they they don't lose control terrified little bullies in the classroom not all of you those of you that i worked at at st matthews primary school in cambridge you're fucking amazing you're all amazing and i love you all right but other schools that i've worked in not Drayton Park in Islington either, right? If you worked with me, in either, with me in either of those schools, you're all right. But if you worked with me in any of the other schools, take a good long look at yourselves in a mirror because you are nasty... A lot of you. I mean, Sue, I don't include Sue Froelish in this and I don't include Oliver Priestley in this or Sarah Buckerfield, green slash green or Lucy, Lucy Bryant, right? None of you either. But the rest of you... Jesus Christ, you've got some problems. There will be other teachers that I got on with as well. Um, Actually, the majority of people I've worked with I've quite liked. But (laughs) there are some really bad apples, Sarah. Look, I'll give you an example. One kid at a school I was working in, he told a teacher to fuck off. He told her to fuck off outside of school. He shouted so I'm like fuck that that teacher that's my teacher from school she can fuck off and then they got back to school and what her what what there's the what the suggests solution to this problem with an eight-year-old child an eight-year-old was to put him in detention for three weeks every lunchtime he had to sit at the side of the hall every single day for three weeks at the end of that sort of Guantanamo situation I went up to him and I said what what have you learned from sitting in here and missing your lunch break every day for three weeks and he said to me I learned that I shouldn't swear at my teacher outside of school and I said to him yeah mate but did you not know that at the time that you swore at her. Did you and he said, Yeah, I know, I did know that. So I said, What have you actually learnt? And he looked at me and he shrugged. Now that's not education, is it? That's just crime and punishment. And that child should have had a proper like he he could have been taught what was wrong with what he did and But that teacher didn't want to teach him. That teacher just wanted to punish him. And what we do is we say that academia is important and all that sort of... I'm not really talking much about comedy, but guys, if you're into teaching, it's fucking good stuff. It's all about academia, and it's not about... At that age, it should be a safe place for them to investigate what happens if you tell a teacher to fuck off and to learn that... If you tell him to fuck off, it's not very nice because it hurts the other, it hurts the other person's feelings, makes the school look bad, and makes you look like a bad person. And it's just not a very nice thing to do, unless you're on stage in a comedy club. And um, he didn't learn that. He didn't. He all he learned is if you do something, someone will hit you. But, but teachers aren't allowed to hit kids, but they are allowed to to take away and punish in horrible ways. So I don't remember what the question was, but no, it didn't help me with stand up. No. It didn't help me with stand up. It just made me feel very but that's uh, I don't hate teaching. I just do hate some of the colleagues that I worked with in the past. But not many of you. I hope I really hope that some someone I haven't missed one of you off that list. Like I say, Drayton Park, excellent school. St Matthews Junior School, primary school in Cambridge, the best school I ever worked at. <laughs> You're
1: not gonna read the question. I'm gonna read the question about playing the guitar in the house. That's the next question. So, David. <laughs> yeah? You play the guitar in Nick Helm's band, The yeah. Helmet. Would you ever incorporate the use of guitar in your comedy? No. And you performed your debut.
0: <laughs> Can you back that in I will never, if I ever, if you ever catch me with a guitar, Sarah Shoreman. If you ever come to see me and I've got a guitar, you must stand up and shout, traitor! Like that. Traitor! Like Bob Dylan goes electric. Traitor! Like, and, and that will be, and what will, I'm, I'll wait for that, alright? Traitor! And I'll be standing there with a the guitar around my neck, and I'll look into your eyes and I'll realise what I've done and I'll have a cyanide pill in my pocket, ready for that moment, okay? And when that moment comes, I will end it. I promise, I promise you, listener, that I will never perform with a guitar unless I change my mind.
1: Or unless you're in Nick Helm's band.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I played a guitar in Nick Helm, that's not comedy, is it?
1: So last year <laughs> So last year you performed your, your debut hour of stand up, uh, Edinburgh, which was called Spontaneous Comedian. Um, <laughs> however, in an interview with Arthur Smith you actually said that there was no spontaneity in it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And you also say on your website, which was in Edinburgh's worst year of sales ever, you had a completely sellout out run. So What's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Well, um, first of all, I found that it helps to have a sellout run if your venue only seats fifty-six people. I mean that that's a large large contributing factor. Um What's my experience been like of Edinburgh? Well you go up and um you don't have money expectations. All you want to do is completely and irrevocably change your entire life. And um, when you come back, your life is completely and irrevocably changed because you've been nominated for the um, Edinburgh Comedy Award Best Newcomer. And, you know, once that happens, well, I mean, <laughs> so you, you get start getting free Diet Coke at the gigs as much. <laughs> There's much diet coke. I mean, literally, I can have two or three cans of diet coke sometimes. Um, you, you get to play some some people who didn't pick up the phone to you before will pick up the phone. Oh, that's a great feeling. And um, my experience of Edinburgh was it was it was it was like you get up in the morning, you go you go to Tesco and get something to eat. Um, you, you you don't eat it in Tesco because it usually need be raw needs cooking maybe I have some hummus on rye bread that's what I was doing a lot of because when I say get up in the morning maybe 12 o'clock then go to your first gig which is playing the guitar in Nick Helm's show and then come back to your flat and go back to bed and then go to your second gig and do your show and then go out for a bit and then come back go to Palmyra and have a kebab and then come home again and you do that for twenty one days. And um what <laughs> that is basically I mean, sometimes your mum and dad come and see you, sometimes your sister comes to see you, and um she'll be sitting there and David Mitchell's sitting next to her and she looks happy about that. So that sort of thing's quite exciting. So there there are exciting moments. Um sorry about that, everyone. I was just um I was just opening a bottle of water as well. If you did hear a little Little click. Um, that would be me. Um, I just can't stop touching drinks, different types of drinks. It's one of my, one of the problems of comedy. I find is that you become addicted to touching different drinks containers and putting them on tables and lifting them up and putting them down. So I apologise to everyone at home about that. Um, now, <laughs> what was Edinburgh like? Is that is this the question? What's Edinburgh like? Great fun. Uh, great. Everything I hoped it could have been, it was great. I, I liked it.
1: And your show this year is called This Is All I Have. So what can audiences expect from your show this year?
0: It will be between 50 minutes and an hour long. There, there, there will be a computer and which will be projecting images on a screen. I'll be saying really funny stuff about that. It's funny stuff about it. There will be eleven comedy routines in it. I think it's eleven at the moment. I don't like to give it away. What I mean, it's not a themed show. It's not a theme show, right? It's a. <laughs> <laughs> it's a um. <laughs> don't expect a theme. Don't expect it to. Don't expect me to to come out of my. Sh- don't right. Don't come to my show and think to yourself, what will I learn? What will I remember, what, what? how will I become a better person? You won't, you won't it won't change your life. It won't even it won't affect your life. But also, don't come out of my show and on your way out of the show, go up to my tech and say that show was <laughs> mate, like you did last year. Right, you, that person, don't come and see me again. Don't bother. The rest of you, everyone else who came to see me, lovely. Um, thank you for coming to see me. And come again, if you want. It's different. It'll be different jokes. It's a different show from Spontaneous Comedian because I say lot. What? What I did in Spontaneous Comedian is I had a, like a certain set of images and a certain set of words that accompanied those images, right? And it was it was about an hour of those images. And this year, what I'm doing is I've got a different set of images. <laughs> And a different set of words that accompany those images. And that is what you can expect. You can expect a different show to the one you saw last. If you're coming to it this year thinking, this will be good, it'll be the one he did last year. No. It'll be different observations, different ideas... It's a new projector, so if you're into projector technology, new projector, the same screen, I've got four new crates, so I know a lot of people were interested in the crates last year, four of them, four brand new crates that I bought from Staples, that's staples, Staples staples.co.uk, if you're sitting at home thinking to yourself, I need some stationery, I don't know where, try staples.co.uk for all your stationery needs just you just get so used to your old stationery don't you just looking at your old just your old same old pens and pencils but you can now you can get different type of stationery by going to staples.co.uk that was just a little reference to our mark marron that's what he does doesn't he every five minutes on wtf he tells you about his sponsor I'm not being sponsored by staples.co.uk, but I bloody wish I was because I'm not earning very much on the
1: circuit. So, what advice would you give to acts taking up a show to the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Number one, try and get nominated for the best newcomer award. Uh, I I've suddenly developed a really <laughs> weird speech defect then. Try and get nominated, right? Because it's really brilliant once you do, because you get, like, they give you bits of silk, just like loads of silk silk um what advice would i give to people uh, don't when when if you live with other people like if joel domitz rings you up and says have you got the key to the flat because i've locked myself out just don't after 11 o'clock don't answer your phone to anyone from your flat that's calling you because they'll want your key and then you'll have to stay up because they won't be outside the flat wanting your key they'll be in the middle of town wanting the key yeah? and then it's going to be a real hassle so try and ignore all your flatmates once you get out of the flat um, or just text but don't actually pick up the phone because once they've actually then they've got you haven't they so if you want to contact them cool but don't let them contact you in any way that's one, one, one thing I would say number two I would say be very aware that when you take your clothes out of the washing machine and you hang them on the aerial you not the aerial it's not an aerial i, I think it's an aerial, but um it looks like an aerial but it's not it's a clothes horse a clothes a white clothes horse um, don't just sometimes it can take longer to dry than they can at home because it's a different environment. Maybe there's more people living in the flat, so more breath means more, I don't know, but if your clothes are damp for a couple of days, you're just going to have to wash them again and you'll never get the taint out. I think this is one of those t-shirts and I would just think everything was a little bit damp and it wasn't just me that had damp clothes. Um, I know that some of my other flatmates also suffered from slightly damp clothes. That was a problem, really hard, that was a hardship in Edinburgh. What advice? I mean, what, what, what do you think people are looking for?
1: Well, to know whether they need a flyer or about venues or how much PR they need to give to their show or the process about writing the show, how they should prepare themselves before they take their show up to Edinburgh.
0: Wow, you really care, don't you, about all this stuff? Right, okay, so I didn't go to Edinburgh for six years. Of doing comedy because I didn't want to do any of the things you just said and it wasn't that I didn't want to do them but I felt like the free fringe everyone a lot of people really into the free fringe but I don't I can't give up summer not see my kids and and put that on my wife if I'm doing free fringe raffle gig where you put your name in the hat and you get something back so I was always gonna wait until someone was interested enough to go to take me up and my agents cover all of that stuff for me so basically i just i just focus on the show and writing the show and that's i mean i have to help out with i have to let them take a photo of me and i will allow that um and and i have to sort of write the things that you write on the flyer and stuff like that i think all the other stuff i have no experience of doing any of that because i'm a very lucky boy and i don't i'm not showing off or anything i don't and I, I think i is but i think if you're not if you don't want to do all that stuff wait and just leave it and leave it cuz you're only going to get better and if you're not if you're not getting to the point where somebody wants to take you up then i don't know you just you you need to really think to yourself it's it's all what you think right it's is your your own perception of yourself and i just i'm really lucky that i landed with the agency that i'm with you can look that up on the internet it's on my website because they do take care of us and they do they do provide a good deal which means that we don't have to lose money like a lot of the other situations that go on so it's it's quite it's very reasonable for me and i know it's not nobody it's hard because you're looking at me like oh don't say that but I think that I did wait, I did think to myself, I'm going to wait till someone believes in me and I'm going to wait till someone takes me up because I can't afford, I can't afford that money. I can't afford that amount of time and money if, if nobody else is interested in me. Now, other, I, I, I can, I've seen it work for other people, sure, and that's brilliant. And um but it just wasn't for me. And I was always going to wait until I got the interest. Luckily, I did. But it felt like every year it felt like it was never going to happen. And it, I'd go, I'd watch everyone else go off and I'd feel gutted. And I'd feel like I, this is the whole thing that, that that whole you've got to use your muscle and you've got to go to Edinburgh every year. You don't you don't have to go to Edinburgh every year in order to. um to make a go of this as a lifestyle, you know? You, you need to have an incredibly rich wife who will look after you and make sure you never have to earn any money from comedy. But that's just a little jokey. Um, what you've gotta do, what I did, was just wait until it, until, and, and serendipity and time worked together to make sure that I arrived at the Edinburgh Festival where I did, when I did. And you know, it was a lucky, lucky break. Because if I hadn't done a certain gig with a certain person in the room, it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be talking to you because I think Edinburgh did change my life and all the joking I make about it 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 was it yeah, everything was different when I came back. I was really lucky I did have that that perfect storm last year and I went off I went out there nobody knew who I was, and I came back and people did know who I was so thanks Edinburgh. And it's all down to edinburgh nothing to do with me being fucking talented and good at comedy
1: you uh you were also a finalist you can't look at the questions you, it ruins the element of surprise okay go on i'm just so excited <laughs> so you were you were also a finalist in the hackney empire I know and you were, i was yeah but the listeners might not oh, know that sorry. Sorry. so it's a bit of background for the no, listeners and then Oh no. Oh, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> this has
0: got holes in it. Sorry, I actually said something, you know, that wasn't drenched in sarcasm and was almost in, almost sincere, and so now I feel really awkward having done that. And so yeah, go on.
1: You were also a finalist yeah. in the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year competition in two thousand and eleven. So, what's been your experience of entering comedy competitions?
0: Great fun, really great fun. You, um, you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, today, today will be the day that I am gonna go and win the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year competition by entering the competition. And then you go drive down in your car and you go to somewhere like um, Rich Mix in London which is a massive venue, really, really big, and there'll be eight people in there. Four of those people will be the judges for the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year competition. And then there'll be a man with a dog on a stage, throwing a ball, and the dog will be catching the ball, and then he'll say something like, well, the dog's finished catching the ball. Uh, Let's bring on the next act. And um, and And then you go on to that, and there'll be four people clapping. And then you go out and you do your five, your tightest five. Um, and then you come off stage and nobody look you in the eye and everyone be really angry. You sit, go back to the to the back of the room and you say to Nish Kumar. Well, Nish, that, I mean, that was pretty bad, wasn't it, mate? But I mean, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. I am sure that both of us are going to get somewhere in this comedy game. You are brilliant at comedy. And and I am brilliant at it too. The two of us, we will one day, you know, be able to get on at the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year competition final. And then you go home and you think nothing of it. You'd usually think that was awful. And then they... they then, then somebody like Sajila Kershi will Facebook you and say, "Hey, congratulations on getting through." And you saying, "Well, nobody's told me that I got through. I wonder what this means." And then the n- day, about three days later, someone from Hackney will finally email you and say, "Yeah, you got in. You got in to the Hackney Empire New Act to the Year competition." And you, with all your heart, you will be forever gutted that it was the year that it was no longer at the Hackney Empire. It was the year that it moved to the Barbican. So, because you'll get asked questions from then on. You were in the Hackney Empire and you're only like, no, I was in the Barbican, formerly known as the Hackney Empire, you know, to the air competition. And then you go and you'll gear up for that and you'll go and do that. And it's the biggest, most exciting day of life. And because it's really exciting, you bring your parents down and your sisters and. Your Uncle Bernard will come and, you know, cousin Toby will come. Theo won't bother. Um, And your wife will be there. Fenella will come down. Carolyn Stewart. Carolyn Stewart will come down from Bristol and they'll get a hotel. And then you won't win. And it will hurt you. It will hurt you so much. It will really hurt because you you need you're 41 years old and you're working as a school teacher and there's the possibility that something like this might just be be able to put it on your CV and people would say oh he's he's actually done something we'll book him and um and it will hurt for months and months and you'll look at David Mills and you'll always be jealous that he beat you and Darius Davis beat you and Julian Dean beat you and Javier. The card ninja thing.
1: Javier Harquin. Javier
0: Harquin beat you. They all beat you. And you think to yourself, I've got loads of record cards. I could have thrown them into the audience. <sighs> Why well, if, if I'd i have known it was the Hackney Empire throwing cards into the audience competition, I would have I would have been much would have done much better, but good luck to all everyone else. And um you get a review, you get a review in the chortle. Your first review in Chortle, and then they, everyone else in the competition, they'll, their names will go bold, so you can click on their names and they will get a comedian page. Your one won't know. Your one will just stay, so you don't even, you can't even link to people that you've got a comedian's page at Chortle, and you just, you go back to school the next day and you'll say, "Hi, I was in the Hackney Empire, new, formerly known as Hackney Empire, New Act of the Year competition." Um, last night at the barbican they said we don't give a shit take the whistle and get out there it's your break duty you go out and you stand out there and you watch the children play and you think is this it? will this be the rest of my life? what where did I where did I go wrong? why didn't I work harder at school? that is what it's like Doing a competition, but I entered lots of competitions, and um, yeah, they're all they're all Hackney's great because what happens with it is they, they are friendly, they're really nice to people who run it, and they, they give you lots of work afterwards. That's great, and I really I love all of the people who run it. And with Hackney, it does. It, you, I was guided that it wasn't Hackney because it feels like you're you're hello, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like you're you're, you're in a line. You, you can look at you look on wikipedia all the people who did hackney really exciting it's great and you're like oh yeah i did hackney it's great but it wasn't hackney it was the barbican and then so you think you're funny that is that sucked that was the worst competition i ever did i was it was because you're in your first year, I did five minutes, right? I didn't get through, felt absolutely gutted. The other two people, though, who didn't get through as well were Henry Packer, Henry Packer, and Nat Lertzmer. We were all in the same round, and none of us went through, and that's what makes you feel better. Daniel Simonson, he goes on to win every fucking competition, doesn't he? But well done, mate. I really, really well done. Well well done on winning um, best newcomer. Seriously, He's brilliant. (laughs) He's really—he's a brilliant competi- hes a brilliant competition winner, and he's a brilliant comedian. But competitions in general, guys, don't worry about them. Don't worry about any of it. Just—it's a gig. If you can see it as a gig and just do it as a gig, then it's all right. If you see it as this will change my life, it will change your life. It just make it really miserable and bitter till you go to Edinburgh. And then you get nominated and you think, yes, yes, here we go. Here we go. Oh, Daniel Simonson also got nominated. What's the point? And then he'll win. <sighs> That's what competition's like. That's what it does to you. It makes you. Makes you very happy. And it's good to enter it. Enjoy it. It's because basically, right, though, the thing you've got to really remember about competitions and any competitive stuff, it's like a sport, it's all about muscles, yeah, and how, how muscly are you, really, how muscly are you, because if you use your muscle every day, if you, if you're always working that muscle, you can become really good at competitive, competition, competing, and, um, yeah, what do I, what do I think about comedy competitions, some people like them, some people hate them, I don't tend to win them.
1: And do you find that you get heckled a lot?
0: Um. What do you mean by a lot?
1: Well, you use PowerPoint and you use lots of. There's lots of loud music and really pumps the audience up before you come on stage. It doesn't leave a lot of room for audiences to heckle you so have you found that in performing this style of comedy that audiences have tried to heckle you yes and what advice would you give to other comedians about dealing with heckling
0: get yourself a powerpoint um presentation and then we put loads of loud music and stuff because it gives them less opportunity to do it i get heckled on friday nights and saturday nights at like clubs where stag parties come in and their heckles are usually consist of two words. The first word is your and the second one is shit. Sometimes your shit mate. Your shit, your shit mate. And um they've never got my shit. They're, not, they're never presenting me with shit. Your shit, like this is your shit. They're saying that I am not very good at doing comedy. And for what they're after, they're probably right. I'm, I'm not... Going to provide them with what they're what they're looking for on a stag weekend, which is um, a solution to the problem that in maybe 48 hours they're going to have done something they deeply regret for the rest of their lives. So I can't provide you with that, guys. <laughs> off. So sometimes I, if somebody shouts your shit, oh, most often I will inform them that technically I am not shit, and um, that I have. I have proof in terms of reviews and um, Edinburgh Comedy Award nominations that will back me up on that. And that it's just their opinion. And other people actually think I'm reasonably good at doing this. I mean, I know that a lot of people do think I'm shit. And I can, you know, I can deal with that. I just, I don't know how to deal with it face to face. But, so, you see, you've asked me what my advice is. But three weeks ago, I did um, a gig in Cardiff. 250 people at a stag night and ended up with 80 to 90% of the people shouting off, 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 off. And the other 10% were just going boo, boo. And that happened until I had to leave the stage. I think it's called getting booed off. So I'm not like, I'm not Mr. Mr. Hey, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, you sh- actually know your shit and then everyone really laughs and I get away with it. But basically, they'll either go with me or they won't go with me. That tends quite a lot of audiences are reasonably well behaved. There's a bit at the end where it's it's I leave them a lot more room to get involved, and as I say, just threats of violence because it's a cartoon threat of violence, and, and it's cartoon heckling, real heckling. When 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 the one time I was in Swansea, always in Wales, and um bunch of people on the front row. Um, were doing things like standing up and smashing their heads on the table from standing and then they were holding up their glasses and saying should we just throw these at him and then they looked at my computer equipment and they said let's just fucking pull his leads out of his computer equipment that's the point at which I just said right you're not getting any more clicked all the way through my slides did my final speech then walked up to the biggest one and said to him you, you mate That's what I said to him. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we say any of those? <laughs> I said to him, I said to him, I said, I didn't like him. I told him I didn't like him very much. And I just hope that my really big rugby-playing doctor friend would step in and help me out if it got nasty, and then ran away. But the next day, they were tweeting me horrible, horrible things. Horrible things. But I, I, but when... You see, that's the thing. You don't... Also, nowadays, you don't just get heckled on stage, right? You get the opportunity to get heckled the next day. But ultimately, whenever you look at those heckles, I always look, go back at their Twitter feed, and... If they are a member of the English Defence League, I tend to just say, fair enough, They those people don't like me, I'm probably doing a good thing, and I, I don't think I'd be friends with them in real life. <laughs> don't think I would. I mean, you know, I'm still, still making my mind up on the whole EDL situation, whether I'm pro or anti. Probably anti the EDL. But just mentioning them gives them attention, doesn't it? You should just go about your business and pretend they don't exist. Um Good. So I haven't got any advice for you guys because I'm shit at I'm shit at dealing with heckles. It's something that a lot of the time, a lot of the time, mate. When when you um when you're playing at better clubs, they'll have security. And because basically it's a bit of a game. They heckle you, you slam them, and they shut up. If you slam them and then they keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. What are you supposed to do? I, I Somebody said to me at the Glee um, in Cardiff where I got booed off that you should probably just give it two times and then after that, it's not your job anymore. You, but other people think that it's like some sort of adversarial, gladiatorial thing. And that you should just keep on fighting. Is that a good answer?
1: It's a wonderful answer. Thank you, David. Sorry
0: about saying <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> try not to say any of those words again because it's offensive
1: and do you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in david
0: front-facing front-facing venue not in the round i hate playing in the round i hate playing with the audience on my sides i like them in front of me i'm very much architectural on this answer i don't have like a do you mean is there a favourite place? Are you trying to get me to say certain clubs like that I like or are you just asking me is there a certain architectural design of room that you prefer?
1: More on the architecture side, for example, do yeah. you prefer one in a basement or do you prefer theatres?
0: I, I understand what you're getting at. Um, Well, basically, I mean, I was listening. I don't know if I've mentioned this at all. <laughs> but I was listening to a podcast the other day um, with a good friend of mine a good friend of mine the comedian nish kumar and um he said that he prefers he likes a dark dank comedy basement yeah and um i think that the more dank and fetid a room is if it's got the texture of mushrooms um then yeah that's uh, my favorite place to play is probably a massive mushroom that's been hollowed out and um just uh just wet damp on the floor a lot of t-shirts as well that have been left over from edinburgh all these all these things and then not actually playing to human beings just playing to sort of organisms that are mainly made out of mucus and you know that that (laughs) just a room full of mucus that's what i'm looking a nose inside a nose that's good as well don't know really the, the the room some people think the room is really important nish kumar seems to think there's a certain type of room that you can that that, that will really be good um victorian theatres as well i believe he he mentioned the victorian's and their theatres but i've i mean i certainly've never played in a victorian theatre so he's a lot more successful than i am if he's been but i don't actually know how many victorian theatres there are where is he where is he referring to in terms of do you know any Victorian theatres in London? Anywhere? don't know. I don't know, Maybe, Nish, you could give us a call, fill us in on these Victorian theatres. He's on his way back from Glastonbury at the moment, so he won't be able no. to. Um, so call him now? All right, hang on. I'm just going to give him a call. Um, <laughs> I'm in flight mode. I just need to switch that off. Hang on. But um, while I'm calling him, I'm trying to think of rooms that I really love playing. Um, I played an amazing room in Wivenhoe the other day and in Essex and it's just a cricket club and it it wasn't the ideal room for comedy but it was a great gig and I put it down to my talent as a comedian and nothing to do with the room or the shape of the room, it's just me being good um, Just that's just that's not true <sighs> it's a hard one Sarah because I don't know I can't remember a good gig that I had recently I don't get booked at places so often that I think oh that room's always great I love going back to that room I'm trying to think of ones that I do but I'm, I'm not Nishikuma. Nishikuma yeah there he is typical Nish typical right Nish you let down all the comedy yet again sorry about that guys I'm just gonna look on my diary and see if there's any then I can describe the room that I liked because it's very important to me to nail this question um that room that Deansway does shambles in is downstairs that's a really nice room um it's it's a little room I like small rooms where you can see the audience and and they're happy to be there. I like dark, I don't like light rooms, really don't like rooms with windows in. Um, I like rooms to be at a temperature of between 25 to 42 degrees. Um, that I think is ideal because I like people to fall asleep during the gigs. Um, Black Heart in Camden's quite nice. I like that. That's upstairs above a pub but it's just Right, the best room is the room where people give a shit about doing comedy in them. And, and like anywhere where they actually, you walk in and they say, hello, David, do you want a drink? And then they're all excited that there's comedy going on. That is the best room. It doesn't really, the shape of the room isn't so important. Put it back on flight mode. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, i got a message, you see, i got a message from Bircher and a gig offer from Paul Savage. Um, that's good. Paul Savage runs gigs in the West Midlands. His rooms are nice. Um, apart from the one where I had a terrible... It's on mute. I mean, mute is... Uh, no. Not, oh, no, because it goes... dirt, Yeah, when they give a shit. And when when they're nice to you. And when they, they know who you are as you walk in. And don't just sort of look at you like... Who is this? And where they can stretch to a, a soda and lime. I did a gig the other night and... I was literally about to go on and I went up to the bar and said, can I have a glass of water? And they said they'd have to get the duty manager for the theatre to action that for them because they didn't have any water themselves and they'd run out of water in the back and I was standing there literally the compare was... Now, if I didn't have the walk-on movie before I went on, I'd have been going up without any water and then you've got to pick up the audience's drinks and drink them if you go dry mouth. So that's, that's the sort of room that I don't particularly like doing in comedy. I like it when people look after you god every every answer I've given the same answer 20 times that's that's the teaching thing it's talking to little kids and having to nail it in and in and in and then they go off and they come back after you and they say oh, still don't get it so just so you all get it out there um it's the room I prefer is <laughs> a room where they've invested in the evening
1: because there will be a test
0: yeah there will be a test guys um that's, that's mainly the, the the last 30 minutes of my Edinburgh show. I do like 20 minutes this year, and then the last 30, and me asking you questions on the Comedy Bloggerty podcast.
1: And do you have a favorite type of audience?
0: The audience I like best is an audience that isn't made up of <laughs> 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 Or <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> um, But not <laughs> um, <laughs> No, not really. I, you, you, I, I can't read an audience. Like, before I go on. Like this thing that this these people in Wivenhoe, I took one look at them and I was like, it was a, it was like a two generation thing. A lot of older people with their kids who were. Maybe in their twenties, and I just thought, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die on my ass here. And they fucking loved it, and they went really went for it. So yeah, I'm. I, I don't look at an audience and think, oh yeah, they're good or they're bad. And I, you know, like there's the ACMS audience, and they're always great to play for. But uh, also a Glee club on a Friday night in Oxford is a delight as well. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. I've had good experiences at the Green Man Festival. That was they're a great, they're, <laughs> they're a great audience to play for um, because they, they, they like the cigarro stuff and they like you know all the stuff that's to do with music. They quite like because it's it's that it matches. It matches exa- I just like to play for a target audience of fat. 42-year-old males who invested too much time in the Smiths when they were at school and no, not really any time in their academic career although if they had have applied themselves they probably would have been a lot more successful than they ended up being and if I've got a room full of them oh, it goes off Um. so yeah, I like I, I, I'm i loath to say yeah, I like festivals because I haven't had enough experience of it but I like any, it's, I'm I'm inspired really by the words of my friend um, Nish Kumar, who said, "I believe um, I like any audience as as long as they find me funny." Yeah, is that he said something like that? Audiences that laugh at what I do, I like them.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians?
0: Don't give up. Might feel like you are a long way away from ever achieving what you set out to do but if you if you keep working really hard on comedy you can probably do comedy because it's we're not superhumans and watch the of buddha watch that because that sums up what being a comedian is like more than any other film you watched it and you just think this guy's a absolutely deluded sad individual who who you know it's like the anvil documentary but when you're watching that, you, they are sad, deluded people who just happen to catch a break in Japan. Whereas when you watch the bit of Buddha, it's it's like you're an, is, he's an outsider artist, and it's like watching the something about Daniel Johnson or something like that. And this is Eddie Peppertone's film, right? It's an amazing documentary, and it does this kind of rug pull on you right near the end. And I don't want to spoil it, but watch that because that'll give you hope. Um... It's really hard to articulate it. But basically, you are not. It's, it's not some magical mystery thing. It's just... The best way to articulate it, right, I think. <laughs> it's really hard. The, the be, I, I think in terms of metaphor, right, in this one. And it's like, if you looked at a guy... Say you went to somewhere where people... We're working out. (laughs) And you looked at these really beefy guys, right? They're they're big. And you know what they've developed? They've, They've developed muscle. They've developed muscles. And... When they went into the gym, they probably had puny little muscles, just tiny little muscles. But they've worked on those muscles, they work on them every day, working on the muscle. And you've got to use that muscle, right? Because if you don't use that muscle, that muscle ain't gonna develop. And they work on that muscle and they work on eventually you they're really muscly. And it's like that with comedy. If you work that muscle as often as you can, you could grow as muscly as those other guys in the gym. Maybe even bigger muscles. And you can beat them. You can be the king of the gym. The king of the gym. What, what was the question? Do I have any uh, tips or advice for?
1: Aspiring comedians. Um,
0: yeah. Th- just do it. Really, just, just do what you do. Do the stuff that you think, oh, right, okay nothing's boring that's the first thing every every time you look at your material you'll think this is at the beginning I would think why would anyone what's my permission what's my permission for this your permission is that it may be funny and that's that's enough permission you might start off talking about going to the supermarket and think this is so why would anyone ever want to listen to this yeah and the reason they want to listen to it is because you've got a funny reason for them to be listening to it at the end of what you of 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 your 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 joke if you do jokes or whatever it is you do but you don't you don't have to don't worry that people aren't going to aren't, aren't going to want to listen to what you've got to say because 9 times out of 10 just the fact that you're on the stage means that they're prepared to give it a go and also and try out all the stuff that you think is really really sh- shit and boring because that stuff is often the stuff that the audiences don't think is shit and boring because they don't they don't live inside your head you <laughs> and also don't be don't be frightened like a lot of people will try and constrain the things you can say but if say you're in a situation and you want to say anything you want to say you won't want to say you won't want to say for example you can say as many times as you want to say it's a disgusting hateful word right and it's really i mean a lot of people get very offended by it Um and there's a lot of misogyny behind that word as well and it's a bad word to use and you know you shouldn't use it around children because it's the worst word, it's the worst word in the world. The it's a but it's only a word and ultimately if you go around saying a lot, eventually people it will wear people down and they'll just say, Oh well (laughs) we'll just let you say as often as you want (laughs) on the comedy, the SoundCloud.
1: And you study teacher training uh, with English Literature and Drama at Reading University. Ah. So. How did you know that? I do my research. (laughs) Do you have any tips or advice for students?
0: Right, two two tips, right. Number one, if it's your fourth year and you're on teaching practice and you, you wanna learn how to juggle, say, and you spend three or four months not going to lectures but you really become good at juggling, you can do Mills mess and everything, fire juggling, stuff like that. Um, But you don't go to any lectures and then you get called in by your dean or principal of your, your school, whatever it's called, and they say, what's going on? They'll always give you a couple of weeks notice. At the point they do that, stop using any of your eczema cream, right? So that when you go in, you've got horrible scabby eyes and then when you go in and they say why haven't you been going to lectures you can just literally raise your hands to your face and say my eyes and then they say oh i'm so sorry and um, you say yes i've been having such problems we can't get any any we've tried topical we're we're going on to antibiotics we can't and they just they don't want to touch that so that's one piece of advice right um that will get you away with murder and then the other thing if you're just coming up to your dissertation And you meet a um, American girl um, in the computer lab, and this is before. Say, say this is. I suppose nowadays you've all got the internet, yeah. But this is you're you're using mainly sort of Unix-based systems in order to access um, user like news groups. Don't when she goes to America and says, "Here's my password." Fuck them up as much as you want don't go to alt.fan.brucehornsby and in answer to a question on there um of who likes bruce hornsby in the range say no one he fucks dogs and grandmothers and then don't go to terry pratchett also terry pratchett alt newsgroups and when it says um and then and then leave a message just a general message saying hey um I'm really surprised. I thought you'd be just an absolute bunch of losers, but it turns out you're not losers at all. You're just a bunch of <laughs> Don't send either of those messages, right? Because you'll get a thing in your pigeonhole saying from the from the actual proper like the whole the IT thing, and then they'll call you in and they'll show you a document with every single keystroke you ever typed on their computers. And then you'll get hauled up in front of the Dean of the University. And it'll be um, really frightening because they, there's a bit in the Students' Union thing which says, any anything you do that the University's never seen before, we can make up our own rules as to what we're going to do to you. And it's just a bit too close for your dissertation. Unless you want to get a 2-2. If you want to get a 2-2, fine, just go for it. You'll get a 50 pound fine, get away with it. It's great. So those are my two main... Two main pieces of advice for you, right? No mucking about on those news groups. Don't apply your skin cream if you're in trouble for lack of attendance. I don't know, you guys, the new generation, you go to lectures, you give a shit about what you do. We, ah, I didn't want to be a teacher. I just wanted to leave home.